Good afternoon. Happy Saturday. Today is June 25th. Here's what's new in sports. Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Finals went to Tampa Bay last night as they grabbed a 3-2 win over Colorado. Colorado still leads the series three games to two, however, and Game 6 will be Sunday night at 8 o'clock. In the NFL, reports are starting to come in that Saints running back Alvin Kamara is expecting a six-game suspension for an incident that occurred during the Pro Bowl. And while nothing is finalizing, the NFL Players Association is expecting Deshaun Watson to be suspended for either the entire year or indefinitely. In the NBA, Steve Clifford agrees to return as the Charlotte Hornets head coach. He last coached the team in 2018 before leaving to coach the Orlando Magic. To baseball, the College World Series kicks off tonight. Game one between Ole Miss and Oklahoma can be seen on ESPN at 7 o'clock. And the New York Yankees taking on the Houston Astros game three there in that series. Uh, first pitch scheduled shortly, 1.05 p.m. The Toronto Blue Jays still playing the Milwaukee Brewers. Game time there, 4-10. And the New York Mets are playing the Miami Marlins. That game will kick off at 4-10 as well. In minor league baseball, the Bisons are scheduled to play the St. Paul Saints in game five of a six-game set. That one's scheduled for 6:05, And you, of course, can hear all of that action over on our sister station, the Bet. 1520. That's your Paddock Chevrolet Sports Update. Paddock Chevrolet with you for the extra mile. I'm Corey Jackson for WGR Sports Radio 550. All right, y'all, welcome back. Sports Talk Saturday, Hour 3 officially underway, and I'll waste no time getting to our last and final guest of the afternoon. We've got Matt Verderam of Fanside joining us here on the West Her Hotline. Matt, good afternoon to you, my friend, and thanks for joining us as always. Uh, we always appreciate you being so generous with your time on the weekend. No, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Of course, man. So, I don't know. I, I, I don't normally, you know, toss this to the guests to start the show, but where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the Knicks? Do you want to start with the gloom and the doom that is the New York Knicks? Or do you want to start on a more positive note? Maybe we want to end on a positive note. I don't know. What do you want to do? Well, uh, I, I, as a Knicks fan, a long-suffering dating back to, to 93, um, they, they are breaking my will to live on a daily basis. <laughs> Um, I, I just, I, I, I never am one of these people. Like I can't stand the guy at the bar who watches a football game and is like, I could have ran for five yards on that play. It's like, no, you couldn't have. You would have broke both your legs. Um, but I really do think you could pluck a fan out of Madison Square Garden and put him in the general manager seat with the Knicks, and either it wouldn't change or it would get better. Mm. Like I don't know how they could possibly be more of a disaster than they are. I don't know either. Um, and listen, I, I, I think there were a lot of people, a lot of Knicks fans, that looked at the additions of Scott Perry and Leon Rose thinking, okay, like, times are changing. Leon Rose used to be an agent. He's a guy that was right. the agent of Allen Iverson and LeBron James. Like, this is a guy that's going to be able to go out and 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 get the top free agents and create New York as this destination. And 
it just hasn't materialized yet. And, you know, they I don't know what to make of the first round. I mean, them trading out of the 11th pick and not using any first-round picks and then Leon Rose having to come out with a statement to essentially, you know, put out the fire that was everyone freaking out about how a team like this basically used the draft to get rid of Kemba Walker to build cap space in a year that's not a good free agent class. Like, I don't know what to make of the draft short of to say if your GM has to come out with a statement after the draft well, to tell everybody what, what they did was, was you know, a part of the process, that's usually not a good sign. First of all, their process sucks. It's okay? always Their sucked. process has been going on for 25 years. So spare me the process with the Knicks. Second of all, you know they had to they had to float in there. They had, they're like, well, you know, we have seven first rounders and seven second rounders in the next like eleven years or whatever. It's like that's nice. Um, most <laughs> yeah. of those picks are protected, yep. and second round picks in the NBA mean nothing. Absolutely nothing. So you you it doesn't like this idea that the Knicks are somehow like flush with assets is just insane. They're not. Here's the positive to Knicks. They actually have some pretty good young players. Like, they really legitimately actually have some guys led by R.J. Barrett. You're mm-hmm. like, okay, like, really a good young core. The problem is that their head coach doesn't play any of them outside of Barrett. Yep. So it doesn't really matter. Um, they did all this so they could clear cap space so they can sign Jalen Brunson to a contract that they're going to try to trade in a year and a half. <laughs> That's going to Like, they are going to give Jalen Brunson three yeah. years or four years and $110 million. Yeah. Like Jalen Brunson was fine this year. He's a good player. He's playing next to Luka Doncic. Right. He's going to look a hell of a lot different playing next to Alec Burks. Okay. <laughs> like this idea that like Jalen Brunson's going to come in there and make a difference. Look, he's he's the kind of guy that if you're a championship contending right. team, right. you want to add him. If you're the Knicks, you're, like what difference does he make? You're the Hornets. Like, what, what good is he? <laughs> I, they, that team. They, they're the New York Knicks, and they act like the Indiana Pacers. Like, they act like the small market. Like, well, he's not overpaid for a mid-level guy. Like, you're the Knicks. You don't see, you don't see Pat Riley overpaying for some mid-level free. Like, you just don't get who you want to get. They, uh, I, have, I have a deep-seated hatred of them as a fan. I'm with you, man. And it's, it's just been such a tough decade for the Knicks. I mean, and, and especially as someone who was – just the biggest Carmelo Anthony fan in the world. Like, they ruined Carmelo for me. I mean, they've really ruined a lot of good things um, in terms of just being a basketball fan. And I think for me, like, I keep thinking about, okay, well, Bradley Beal's one of the best young players. He's 28 years old. He's entering the true prime of his career. Go find a way to get Bradley Beal, right? Donovan Mitchell wants out of Utah. Why isn't that? Right, go get him. And, like, to me... Jalen Brunson, it just is so uninspiring. And to your point, like that's a that's a luxury piece for if you're, if you're Philly, right? Ex- exactly. Like right. you are a team that is uh, that is broaching championship level. Jalen Brunson is a good complimentary piece. Asking Jalen Brunson to go from being the third piece on a on a you know, Western Conference Finals Dallas Mavericks team to the second leading scorer on a Knicks team that really has no identity other than who they are from their coach's perspective, which, let's be honest here, like, their identity is Tom Thibodeau. Yes, it is. I mean, like, their their best hope, honestly, is to clear this veteran logjam and Barrett becomes what I honestly, he's the one guy, like, I look at and be like, he could be an all-star. He's actually a really good young player. But, like, I like Obi Toppin and Emmanuel Quickly a lot. 
doesn't matter if they play 12 minutes a night. Like, they've got to play. If I, if I had to sit there and watch Alec Burke or Evan Fournier, one more year, my head's going to explode. I, I, get rid of them. I don't care what it takes. I don't care how, how you have to do it. But I just look at them and, and look, and we agree. Like, Donovan Mitchell's a perfect example. Donovan Mitchell, you acquire Donovan Mitchell, he matters. Like, he changes that team fundamentally. Nobody is going and running out and buying a, buying a Jalen Brunson jersey. Nobody. Not one person. His family's not going out and buying a Jalen <laughs> Brunson jersey. Nobody cares. Like, I, do you think you're selling season tickets to that team because of Jalen? And, and look, my point isn't like crap on Jalen Brunson, but the, the, the point is that, look, he is not going to change your team. And when you are a 35-win team, you need to change it. Yeah. Like, you need to go out and change the team. It's like if it's like when the Bills years ago, to bring it to locally, were like, hey, you know what? We got we got Drew Bloodsoe. The team stinks. <laughs> Who cares? Like, it, it doesn't matter. It, it, what difference did it make? Like, you you need to build an entire team. And the Knicks have some spare parts. Now they need a star. And the Knicks are just going to add another spare part. Yeah, it's it's just it's so demoralizing because you see this Eastern Conference and you get that glimpse last year, right, where they're the four seed or whatever they ended up being. Like, yeah. and, and they have that... Yeah. That quintessential year one, year two Thibodeau team that is like, ooh, Thibodeau's turning this whole organization around. It's Thibodeau, Thibodeau, Thibodeau. And just like every other time, that year three, that year four takes a dump and goes downhill because guys get a little stale. He just becomes so stale so quick because all he cares about is you playing defense. And in the NBA... There's two coaches that care about defense. Everyone else cares about scoring. And he's the last of a dying breed. And he's going to wear out halfway through this year. And the Knicks will be in 10th place in the East. And then they're going to fire Thibodeau. And it'll be too late to go get a good young coach. So then they'll bring in another retread and some other guy, a D'Antoni. Oh, but maybe bring in D'Antoni back oh, in the modern God day. Almighty. That'll be the answer, right? Like, there's just, it seems like no matter what the plan is, they made. Phil Jackson looked like, uh, I don't know. I mean, they made, yeah, like an idiot. Yeah. And like, if you yeah. if you find a way to make the, one of the greatest coaches and greatest assembly guys ever look like a modern day idiot, I, that is. There's a listen. I mean, I think this is all what we're talking about here. This is crap rolling downhill from the top from Dolan, right? And until Dolan's out, I'm yeah, not sure yeah. this thing ever changes, dude. I mean, look. What is the one? common denominator for all these years of hell at the next Tim. I mean, that's the common, you know, and that's the other thing for you to, to bring it back to the top. Like we talked about Leon Rose and that statement. The only reason that statement exists is because they're so gutless. They won't meet with the media. They just won't do it because they know they're going to get crushed. So they just hide behind it constantly. And they're like, well, we just, we're not going to talk. We're not going to talk. I mean, they cannot talk all they want. The performance speaks for itself. I was saying this, uh, I did a, I did a spaces basically just to, just to vent uh, after the Knicks uh, drafted tonight. I said, look, the, the Knicks every year, you know, a lot of teams will have the, you know, the, the fan appreciation day, last home game of the year. The Knicks should do it for the first game of the year and just wheel a casket out to center court <laughs> and everybody can just put their dignity in it. Like it's, it's unbelievable that any of us still watch this crap and yet we do. Like it's, I just look at the Knicks and say, you know, you're the New York Knicks. Like, go get a star. Go get somebody who matters. Go build around. I mean, you can care about defense. The Celtics and Warriors do. But they right. got stars. They can score. Like, you have Curry and Thompson and Draymond and Poole and Tatum and Brown. Like, 
None of, it doesn't matter if you play good defense. If your third leading scorer on the team is some guy nobody's ever heard of no. outside of New York, it just doesn't matter. So they're uh, they're frustrating, and I can't wait to watch them go thirty-seven forty-five. Yeah, hundred percent. And like I said, I, I'm I'm envisioning a mid-season exit from Thibodeau, and you know maybe they'll find a way at the trade deadline to trade one of their eleven first-round picks in the next seven years to get rid of Evan Fournier's contract so that they can go out and you know. I don't know, next year in free agency. Like, it's funny because now all the talk is part of, I think, the brilliance of this offseason for the Knicks, or at least the good fortune that they'll have, is that everything is falling apart on the other side in Brooklyn. Like, the Kyrie Irving situation with Durant potentially also going to force his way out of there. Like, just watching what Brooklyn has been for the last 10 years since moving to Brooklyn, trading all those assets to get the aging big three that never won a damn thing, and then finally getting those assets back and then trading all of them again in order to get Kyrie Irving and to get all this like they're in such a wildly terrible position that it almost makes the Knicks the secondary story of dysfunction because that's a franchise right now that's teetering on absolute irrelevance if Kyrie Irving leaves Kevin Durant's going with him and if Kevin Durant goes with him what the hell like here's the thing when Kevin Durant says he wants out of Brooklyn which he's going to do they have no leverage, Matt. They've got no way to recoup what the actual value Kevin Durant will, should bring a team because a he just won't play for them. Or I, I like what's going to happen there is going to be super interesting to me. But at least the Knicks aren't that right. I mean, can can we can we at least lay our head on the pillow thinking that? I mean, yeah. Of course, the flip side of that is like the Nets were actually able to get. Kyrie Irving and Kevin yep. Durant when they wouldn't even take a meeting with the Knicks. Yep. But although I will, I will say this: as much as I want a star, I do not want Kyrie. Irving. Nope. That is no shot. Disaster way to have. But I, you know what? Um, it's funny. I grew up an hour outside New York City, hour and a half outside New York City. So I used to go to the Meadowlands all the time, not to see the Nets. I never went to a Nets game. I'm a Devils fan, so I went to Devils games constantly. Um, and. I always used to laugh because you go back at old Continental Airlines Arena. You go in there, they have all these, you know, all the Devils, the championship banners, the division banners, all this stuff. And then you look over, and the Nets would have like Buck Williams' jersey hanging there, and you're like, that is the saddest thing I've ever seen. Like, I'm not kidding. If you go, if, if there's a picture on Google of like the banner situation in 2000 for the Devils and the Nets, I mean. <laughs> There's nothing. Nothing. There's literally nothing. Like, the Nets retired Buck Williams jersey just to be like, well, at least it's something. I mean, it's they, they have been irrelevant forever, whether they played in Jersey, whether they've been in Brooklyn, and they, now they're irrelevant for like a year and a half. And that, the, the best part's going to be they're going to trade Kyrie and, and Durant, and they're just and then like the star of that team is Ben Simmons, who <laughs> yeah. may or may not play a game in the next five years. So good luck to them. I look forward to watching. Yeah, listen, you know, I know it's funny because we're just two football guys getting to talk about the NBA, and I know you're in the same vein as me. Like, I love the NBA. It's really my second love, and it just takes everything out of me when I have to talk about the team I actually follow. So it's nice to, like, talk about talk with somebody else who goes to bed at night thinking about, like, okay, it's going to be okay. Like, right, just that. And, and it sucks because at the end of the day, like, watching that NBA Finals and watching the excellence that is Golden State, and you're just like, how can one franchise get things so right and the Knicks be almost on the precipice of, of, of you know hiring Steve Kerr only to lowball yeah. him and then watch him win three championships in Golden State and go to six and eight years? They're like, it's cool because we got Derek Fisher. Yeah, no, listen, <laughs> it's always... 
it's always good to think about how close they were also to getting Steph Curry. Yeah, right, right. They just couldn't be bothered to get Steph Curry. I, I, um, look, th- that was the other part of the draft that was so frustrating. Like, if there's one franchise that sucks more than the Knicks, it's the Sacramento Kings. Yep. Oh, gosh, yes. Or, like, openly willing to trade down. And Jaden Ivey's sitting there, who the Knicks clearly want. And it's like, look, if that's who you want, then go get it. Like, I don't care. Look, I like Emmanuel quickly, but is he ever going to be an all-star? Probably not. He's more of like a Lou Williams, like, yep. first guard off the bench. Which is fine. Like, it's useful. But, like, if you think Jaden Ivey's going to be a five-time all-star, trade for him. Like, I don't care. I'm willing to live with that. But you're right. I mean, look, the, the Knicks were my first love as a kid. Uh, right alongside the NFL, and then a couple of years later got into the Devils. And I think now, because the Knicks have beaten me now for 20 years, I probably care more about the Devils than the Knicks. But again, like you being a Sabres fan, like, it's not like, like, basically, let's put it this way. Thank God for the Bills in your team. Oh, my God. And me growing up the Chiefs. Because if it wasn't for those teams, October, November, December, I'd be on the roof. Yep. Okay? Having to watch the Devils and the Knicks, <laughs> who just are the epitome of garbage. Game in, and get, at least the Devils like they have some young talent. Finally, but it's like they they also have me as a goaltender, so <laughs> it's it's not it's not good. It's it's a total tire fire. Matt Verderam here of Fan Sided on the Western Hotline. Let's uh, for the last like three or four minutes here transition over to the AFC and the and the NFL here. And you know, sure. one team I think I'm maybe most interested in just to sort of get your pulse, your the temperature that you have. I'm looking at the AFC East and I'm thinking, okay, well, everyone's obviously kind of got the Bills penciled in at the top spot. I think a lot of people have yep. have starting to warm up to the idea that the Dolphins could really be the number two team in the division. I think I'm probably there too. It's this. It's the Jets that I think have become one of the more interesting teams to me, Matt, because of the additions they made at the pass-catching options for uh, Zach Wilson, their year-two quarterback, who, let's face it, just had one of the worst seasons as a rookie quarterback ever. What is, like, if, if, if someone asked you today that you had to put $100 down on a over-under win total for that team, and I were to tell you that Zach Wilson takes a step forward to the point where he becomes just a standard serviceable quarterback in year two, like, what are you putting that $100 on in terms of an over-under on, on the total wins for that Jets team? What is their over-under? Do we know? Is it like five and a half? It might be like five and a half, five, somewhere around I mean, there. I, I'd probably take the over, but that belies what I really think of the Jets. Because, look, the Jets added talent. I'm not arguing that. I think the Jets did do a nice job. And I actually am curious with Robert Sala. I think he's a good coach. But here are, the, here are their, their schedule. Excuse me. Here are the first handful of games in their schedule. You tell me what the record of this team is going to be. Ravens. At Cleveland, maybe that's easier because we don't know who the quarterback is. Home to Cincinnati, at Pittsburgh. Then it's home Miami, at Green Bay, at Denver, at Bills, at Pats, Bears at home, easy game, at Minnesota, at Buffalo. I mean, that's the first 13 games on the schedule. Yeah, I mean, four wins. Right, right. I mean, so, like, that's one thing I do think when people look at how how they feel a team's going to do – I feel like two things never get brought up, especially during training camp. The schedule never gets brought up, with, which obviously matters at time. That maybe doesn't matter if you're Buffalo or you're Kansas City or you're the, like those teams are going to win the Rams. The fine, but it still matters, especially for an up and coming team like the Jets. Second, the second thing never gets brought up. You always watch, you always see these like clips of camp and some guy throwing a deep out or something. Nobody ever mentions the offensive line to these teams. Mm. Because nobody's getting killed by a bad offensive line in training camp. 
I don't know that the Jets' offensive line is good. Is Makai Beckton, is he going to play for them this year? Like, what's happening? I, I have no idea. I mean, I like Farrah Tucker, but I don't, I don't know that I really like believe wholeheartedly in that offensive line. So, right. I still think they're the worst team in the division. I, I don't think they're better. It's New England, I don't think he's talented, but I also think New England is Belichick, so they'll win like seven or eight games just based off the fact that he's there. I still think the Jets are going to win like five to six games. I guess I'd say six because the last four games are pretty easy, but I think they're going to like backdoor cover that six. They're such an interesting team to me, Matt, because when you say the schedule, it almost it, it is a task to find six wins. But then I also think, like, what if if Zach Wilson has the same stats as Josh Allen had year two, right? 25 touchdowns, 11, you know, tw- was it 25 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, 3,800 yards, and then he adds a couple hundred yards, three or four touchdowns on the ground, like... Oh, they'd sign for that. Oh, I mean, they'd have to. And, and like, I, I think I, I think I tweeted about that a couple of maybe a month or two ago, and I said, you know, Jets fans, would you take Josh Allen's year two stat line? And I, like every single one, I'm like, oh man, if he does that, they're a they're a, they might be a seven or eight win team. And I might maybe pump the brakes a little bit on that because I I got to know what that defense looks like. They still, you know, obviously right. Sauce Gardner's a nice piece on that defensive um, backfield, but outside of him, I don't, I don't think I can name one more starter on that Jets defensive backfield. And you know, Carl Lawson's a big question mark. How does he come back from the Achilles? So, right. yeah, like, yep. I, I, I like, and listen, nobody may have had a better draft the last five years than what the Jets put together in their first four picks this year. It was an unbelievable amass of talent that they got this year. You know what? I love their draft. I, you know, but I also am a big believer in, I never put a ton of stock into rookies because you just don't know. You don't know what they're going to be. You don't know if these kids are going to be good. I mean, I remember, right. you know, look, I remember plenty of years at the Browns where they had eight first-round picks, it felt like. <laughs> And it's like, they got Justin Gilbert and Johnny Manziel. And then, like, five years later, you're like, oh, my God, they got Justin Gilbert and Johnny Manziel. <laughs> like, you don't, you don't know. Yeah. I do like their draft. I do. I, I think it's a good draft. But I also think, too, to be fair to the Jets, part of the reason I just think that their, their improvement will be somewhat muted, that conference is like the seventh circle of hell. Yeah. I mean, you're just, if you're the Jets, the Jaguars, who I also think are really improved, if you're Houston – uh, well, I don't think that improved, but it's a, a bottom-level team. If you're Pittsburgh, who always has a winning year under Tomlin, if you're the Pats, who obviously have been great for 20 years, your talent level is just so far below yeah. other teams in the AFC. Like, I mean, let, let's for an example, the Raiders, if you took the Raiders or the Titans and you threw them in the NFC, they're no doubt playoff teams. In the AFC... I think the Raiders are going to finish fourth in the division. Like, I, it's just, it's so hard. Like, that, that conference is, like, you know, we've talked, obviously, you and I have talked a lot about Miami. Miami in the NFC, I put them in the playoffs. In the AFC, I think they're lucky if they win nine games. It's just so hard. There's so many good teams that I think you look at it and just go, yeah, right, look, I think the Jets are improved, but who are they going to beat? Like, who are they clearly right. better than in the AFC? Houston? That might be the entire list. Right. No, you're absolutely right. It's but it's it in the same sense because of the uh, uh, the added pass catchers, it makes them interesting. And and listen, at the end of the day, I think that's probably what Jets fans yearn more. Just like give me something interesting, damn it! Like I don't want to see Mike. I don't want Mike White to be the highlight of my season any longer. <laughs> I think that's kind of where they stand. Matt, thanks so much, brother. Uh, appreciate you as always hopping on. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Hopefully, some nice weather for you, and we'll chat again soon.
Hey, take it easy. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you. Matt Verderam there on the Western Hotline here on Sports Talk Center. Taking a timeout, Carlo Koliakova was on the Extra Point Show. We're going to play that back for you. That's coming up next here on WGR. All right, y'all, welcome back to Sports Talk Saturday. We're going to bring you Carlo Koliakovo. He is a host on TSN's First Up 1050. He joined the Extra Point Show earlier this week. Even though he's north of the border, he's a big, big Bills fan. You can hear him on Toronto Radio. First Up 1050. Played for the Leafs, played for the Sabres. NHL vet Carlo Koliakovo. He joins us on the Wester Hotline. Carlo, it's Sal and Joe. What's up, my man? What's up, boys? Happy Friday. What's no going kidding. on in Buffalo? Uh, we're just going through an all-Bills drought team, and today we're going to do an all-Sabers drought team because, you know, the Bills, oh, the, the, the drought team for the Bills, that's like a half decade ago now that we even think about that, yeah. but we're in the middle we're of it here in the Sabres. Now, we're, looking, we're, we're, we're looking to just keep moving forward and only get to that uh, Super Bowl that Josh can beat us to, but uh, hey, man, they're just... I, I saw this uh, the other day. Somebody reminded me we're two months away from the start of the football season. That's right. That's right. I cannot wait. So, so that's my Bills play. Carlos eligible for our uh, our Sabres all drought team. Yeah, you are. You're eligible. eligible. You, you played during the drought. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Yeah, well, hopefully I wasn't part of the drought. Uh, <laughs> well, about. well, hey, you, you were a little a little piece of it, but we ho- we look to end it soon. For sure. Um, yeah. Hey, let's let's start with football. Yeah, yeah. Let's start with football though, because you are a big Bills fan. I mean, just give us a sense of what it's like, even where you are, north of the border, and the excitement for the Bills. We know a lot of fans come from that area. They haven't been able to attend as much as they wanted to the last couple of years, yeah. but the excitement's building, and there's a lot of people up there who are really, really interested in the Bills and have been. Oh, there sure is. I mean, obviously in Toronto, at least around the group of my friends. Um, it's still heartbreaking to go back and watch some of the videos that some guys posted when the Bills went up with 13 seconds left in that game against the Chiefs and watch the celebrations from all of us and just how stupid we looked after they lost. But that's a tough pill to swallow. Hopefully it's a memory we don't have to relive anymore. But, you know, it's kind of weird. Like, just because, you know, the Bills for so long, you know, you can say almost 20 years, were pretty – bad and pretty irrelevant when it came to the scene and you know but fans were still there and now that the last two or three years have given bills fans a reason to come out out of their shells and celebrate like they should there's a lot of people being that are jealous about it and saying oh you know you're bills fans you're a bandwagon or stuff like that i go you guys understand it's been 20 plus years that we've had to wait and celebrate an unbelievable quarterback, an unbelievable team that they've built, and now you want to crap on us? Like, let us have our moment. And so I think the fact that maybe a lot of Toronto fans haven't had a chance to go to Buffalo and really feel what this team can do and what they can bring over the last two years definitely has created a level of excitement that I've never seen before with the true Bills fans that are here. Yeah, it's going to be exciting, obviously. And um, you're right, the uh, training camp starts actually one month from today, pal. July 24th is the first practice, one month (laughs) from today. So let's count Sundays. How many Sundays is that? Is that nine Sundays now before the start of the season? Well, as of of last night, it was only six weeks before the Pro Football Hall of Fame game is going to be played, which is amazing. Raiders and and Jags, which is uh, pretty incredible. I know. Listen, listen, we're we're in the middle. What a schedule, too. Like the first game of the season against the Rams. Like the Bills are on the spotlight. It's going to be awesome. Let us know when you're coming down here for a game. I know you're going to make a Believe me, I will. I can't wait. All right. Let's talk Stanley Cup. Um, 
do the uh, Avalanche wrap this thing up tonight? And, you know, just how good is this hockey team? Look, I'm gonna. I'm. I, I'm not gonna go out on a limb here. I, I'm. I'm actually gonna be very confident when I say this, and I do feel that Colorado is gonna end it tonight. And that's very, very hard for me to admit because I've been basically backing Tampa Bay since the playoffs started. I believed they were gonna beat the Maple Leafs. I said they were gonna beat the Panthers. I said they were gonna beat the Rangers, even down uh, to nothing, because I just there's so much to admire about this team and the culture that they've developed there of a winning and, you know, just with the guts and the courage that this team has played with to get to this point, it just seems like nothing has been able to stand in their way when their backs are against the wall. They just find a way. And that's what I really admired about this group is that no matter what team they're playing, they've always been able to make this slight adjustment to find different ways to win. And, in a salary cap world where they've had so much turnover in their roster, you know, year after year, it's really been impressive. But for the first time, I feel like the gas is running on empty with this group and they just look like a defeated team. And it's not just, it's not because, you know, they don't have what it takes, but man, you see every game, almost every shift, a new player go into the locker room after a block shot or after a play. And it just seems like they're losing the war of attrition here and the, the survival of the fittest. And they're just hitting that breaking point where they've met their match with the Colorado avalanche, with the youth, the enthusiasm and the depth that they've shown throughout the series where Colorado looks like they're getting better and faster as the game goes on where Tampa Bay it looks like they want to play a slower game that Colorado's just not allowing them to do. And I think, you know, considering the emotions, the devastating emotions that went into last game's loss, going into Colorado where they know they have a chance to clinch it on home ice, we've seen how crazy that building can be. I think it's finally safe to say that they, they that the, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning have met their match and the Colorado Avalanche will win tonight. You know, we've spent a lot of time wondering about Tampa's place all time. If they're if they were able to win three in a row, which they still could, they'd have to obviously go on a run right. here. But I'm I'm almost starting to wonder about Colorado for that. Not in terms of a dynasty, yeah. but just for, for one team, one season. Like, is that this fair to say one of the better teams we've ever seen? Because I don't know, Carla. They move at a speed that is just jarring. That I feel like it's yeah. very rare for past NHL seasons. And you know what? They have two of the most electrifying players in the league at, at two positions that basically allow you to feel that way. I mean, look at the speed that Nathan McKinnon plays with. Look at the speed that Kill McCarr plays with. It just seems like every time these two, one of these guys touches the puck, they're always making something crazy happen because of the speed that they play with doing, with, doing it with. And so, you know, I, I go back to a quote before the series started, and it was from Kale McCarr where he was asked about you know, the three, the, 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 the Tampa Bay being in their third straight cup final, how they have a chance to repeat and what Colorado has done to build themselves to be this juggernaut that they've looked like in the playoffs. And he said it perfectly. It's dynasty versus legacy. The dynasty that Tampa Bay has created and the legacy that Colorado hopes to create if they win this cup and, you know, see what type of run they can go on with that core. 
But look, Colorado's gonna gonna face the same challenges that every team does every offseason, and that's trying to keep the team together because you know, as you saw last game, Nazem Kadri steps into the lineup and he makes his mark, scoring probably one of the biggest goals that he scored in his career um, in the Stanley Cup Finals. You know, is he going to be back part of the group next year? Is Darcy Kemper going to be back part of the group next year? You know, what happens when Nate McKinnon's contract is up in a year from now? How does they fit that in the salary cap? So it's so tough to predict what legacy they can create because of so much changes that they can have, not just in next year's roster, but the year after. And that's why you have to appreciate so much what Tampa Bay has been able to do getting to a third straight cup final because they just went through that and they keep finding themselves back here. So uh, I think it's no question what you said earlier. I think this is the best team we've watched play in the Stanley cup final. Wow. I mean, who, who can I say, you know, has been this, dynamic and this much of a juggernaut in the Stanley Cup. I think I'd have to go back to the 2010 LA Kings, the team that I played in the finals where, you know, they steamrolled the playoffs. They went 12 and four in the playoffs. They didn't do it by, you know, beating you offensively, but they did it in a juggernaut way where they just beat you down every time they play you. So I think I would categorize, you know, or at least place Colorado in, 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 in that, uh, in sort of their own, place of of greatness knowing that just the way that they've done it has wowed you the whole way yeah if they win tonight i think three losses in an entire postseason winning the cup would be the least i think since the oilers in the 80s um you mentioned kadri and he scores the winner obviously uh in game four and you saw him in mm-hmm. Toronto. Is there an explanation, and any good explanation, for a guy that was never near a point-of-game player through the first 12 years of his career just suddenly showing up? And, oh, he's got 87 points this year. Mm-hmm. Well, look, I mean, you talk about a year to have his, his career year and a contract year, right? And you just probably envision what type of contract he's setting himself up for. And, and good for him. It's well-deserved. And I think this is exactly, you know, what's 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 the – What's, what's being uh, what's happening right before our eyes is exactly the curve of greatness where you enter the league at a young age, you, you see the potential, but I just feel like the more you play in the league, the better you become because you start to slow the game down and you just trust on your instincts and your skill level. And I think that's exactly what Nazem Kadri has done. And he's found himself a nice role on the perfect team to do it, where he doesn't have to be counted on to be the guy to do it. I mean, Nathan McKinnon is the, is, is the guy to do it. they got Landis Scott, They've got Ranton in. You know, Nikushkin has been a nice fit in that group. And Kadri is just plowing along as their second-line center and doing it in, in, a, in a career year. So, um, you know, it's, it's so tough as a Leaf fan to absorb what Nazem Kadri is doing because you look at the failures of the Leafs in the playoffs and you just wonder – did they did they jump the gun on on Nazem Kadri, you know, and his departure with the team? It's really really tough to say because in the moment it's almost like he made his own bed with the trust issues that this team had with him because you just wonder if he was available to play for this team in the two series that he you know got suspended for, would he have been a difference maker? And I truly do believe he would have been a difference maker, but. He didn't give himself a chance to be that because of some of the selfish things he did. And I don't want to blame him for the selfish things he did because the selfish things he did maybe crossed the line because he cared so much about winning and so much about competing that 
you know, in those moments when your emotions get the best of you, clearly it got the best of him. So, um, you know, and now, you know, he's one win away from winning a Stanley Cup with the team that the Leafs traded him to. So it's still a, it's still a wound, I think, is still very fresh in, in a lot of Maple Leaf fans' mind. And, you know, for him, good on him. He, he made the most of it and is, is making the Maple Leafs pay for a, a decision they probably regret right now. All right, more from Carlo Koliakovo on the other side. You're listening to Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. All right, welcome back to our very final segment of the day. We are going to bring you the remaining portion of Carlo Koliakovo's interview on the Extra Point Show from TSN. Carlo Koliakovo here on the Extra Point Show. Next year will be 30 years since a Canadian team won the Stanley Cup. Joe's never seen a Canadian team actually hoist the nope. Stanley Cup over their shoulders, which is incredible, right? All right, so this is a, Le- this is a Leafs question, but I'm going to phrase it this way. What, uh, like, what would you put the team, the best odds, to be the next Canadian team to win the Stanley Cup? Wow. So, you know, this year people looked at me cross-eyed when I said it was the Edmonton Oilers, and it almost happened. Right. And right. I said that I said that at uh, free agency, obviously, when we host free agent frenzy at TSN, you know, there's a lot of hockey analysts there and they ask you to make predictions after the day is done. And we actually were asked that question about which Canadian team is the closest. And when I said mm-hmm. Edmonton, like I said, people look at me cross-eyed. But the reason why I said it is because you got two of the best players in the world playing on that team. It's only a matter of time when they're due to break out and have success. And, they did that this year, and I think it'd be foolish for them not to recognize that and address the areas that can maybe help them push them over the top. And everybody knows by watching them what the areas is. They got to go out and get a goaltender. Like they can't trust on a forty-plus-year-old guy to take them over the top. I mean, especially when you encounter a team like Colorado, who can meet you offensively, but it was a goaltender that made a difference in that series. And credit to Mike Smith, he got them. He allowed them to get to that point. I'm still going to say Edmonton because, you know, the, because they still have those two guys. You expect them to make the change in the offseason. I want to say Toronto just because I'm here and I follow the team and I'm part of the alumni. But I'm a big believer that you can't have the ultimate success until you learn how to win in the playoffs. And this team has proven it hasn't shown its ability to win in the playoffs. I mean, just – it's been 19 years now, starting next year, that they haven't won a playoff round. So they have the talent. I just don't believe they have what it takes. And you guys see, like, you can win a playoff round, but to think that without playoff success that you've gained or earned, that you can just go on this magical run and win four straight. I mean, look how long it's taken Colorado to get to this point. It's four years of heartbreak in the playoffs. You know, Tampa Bay got here. They had to get swept in the first round of uh, against uh um, Columbus that one year to really allow them to make the necessary adjustments for, for them or to change the, the way their roster was built to have the, the, the success in the playoffs. So I like what Calgary did this year. Um, you know, they, they could get a step closer next year, but that all depends right now. You talk about player changes. What happens with Goudreau? Do they, do they find a way to get Kachuk signed? Um, you know, they have the goaltending. So I think those three teams are the closest. But if I had to pick one Canadian team, I'm, I'm staying with Edmonton as the team that's the closest right now. And quickly, before we let you go, Carlo, the, I saw a report the other day the Leafs have not made a contract offer to Jack Campbell, their goaltender who will be yeah. a free agent. It's almost a two-part question. One, do you see them bringing him back? And two, the Sabres, like, part of the reason we're interested in him is they have 
zero goaltenders for next year, and they have $40 million in cap space. So is it more a question of money for him than actually the quality? Um, I think for him, yeah. I mean, considering his career path, this is his opportunity to cash in, and you can't blame him for that because he's put himself in that position. And, you know, you look around the league, I think there's more than a handful of teams that would love, uh, you know, a guy like Campbell. Look, I'm surprised there hasn't been any negotiations. I'm surprised that this wasn't taken care of, you know, before the season, during the season, that we're even at this point with Campbell because if you're the Maple Leafs, or you're any team that, you know, had an off season like they did last year with signing a goaltender, you think you'd learn from your mistakes. And the mistake the Maple Leafs made was that they went out and gave a guy a three-year deal that they didn't really know much about that hasn't worked out. And I think that's some of the mistakes that people make across the league is that they think that the person they have, that there's a better solution out there most times when really you're starting over with the new guy. You know what you have in Jack Campbell. You've seen what he can do for you. Look, I don't, I don't blame Jack Campbell at all for the last two playoffs. If anything, he's the reason why they had a chance to win in those last playoff series. He wasn't the reason why they lost. So when you're willing to play that game of chance again and go out in the free agent market and say, well, we think this guy is going to be good, and then he comes in and you know nothing about him, which is basically what happened to Morazic, and now they're trying to get rid of him, and how many suitors are there out there for him? So um, – if I'm them and you're, you're hearing some of the names that they could potentially be linked to, you find a way to get Jack Campbell done. And, and you, you, you solve that problem right away. He's a guy that's beloved in the locker room. He, you know what his work ethic is every day. You know the way he can play and the success that he can you know, help you get. And for the Sabres, you should be interested in Jack Campbell. Look, I, I like the progress the Sabres have made this year. They, they've shown that, you know, that there's good times you know, ahead for them. They've got some great young prospects. They've developed uh, a, a style and a culture of play where, you know, they, they can outwork you on a nightly basis. I love what Don Granado has done with the team. But clearly, like I said about Edmonton, this team needs goaltending. You know, you can't, as great as the story Craig Anderson was last year, you can't go into another season as him as your starter. And yes, uh, Uka Pekka Lukanen is a guy in, in the system that looks to be a promising prospect, but you need an established guy. You need a guy that's going to go in there and provide stability, create some confidence in your young decor. It's great to see the step that Rasmus Dahlin took next year. You've got Owen Power coming into the mix next year. You know, you have a free agency. You talked about $40 million. Guys, the best asset to have nowadays in in hockey isn't first-round picks, isn't young talent. It's cap space. Mm -hmm. And there's so much that the Sabres can do with that cap space to help improve the roster, and I hope they do. Always great catching up with you. Have a great summer as we head towards uh, football season. Like I said, let us know when you're coming down. We appreciate you coming on. We you always love it, being man. on your show up there. You know, we, we have this uh, great connection between the two cities. Obviously, I know the hockey teams don't like each other, but I know there's a lot of Bills fans up there that <laughs> love rooting for the Bills. So always, you got it, always great, buddy. Thank you, you so it. much, man. TSN's Carlo Koliakovo there. Big thanks to all my guests today, including, but not limited to, Elena Getzenberg of ESPN, Ben Baby of ESPN, Elks Clancy of Lockdown Cardinals, and Matt Verderam of Fansided. That's going to do it for here back in our Amherst studios and the Duntire studios. I'm Nate Geary. Big thanks to, uh, to all my guests and everyone listening today. We'll be back next week as per usual here on Sports Talk Saturday.